Hello everyone, welcome to Church Plant Chat. Uh, it's Paul here and today I have none other than Paul Harcourt with me. Uh, he's the national leader of New Wine and leader of All Saints Church in Woodford Wells. It's a real treat to have you here today, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Great yeah. to be here. I, I love what you're doing. I think it's really exciting to be not just trying to learn, but also sharing what you're learning as well. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, that's my hope. I think there's there's something to be said for hearing from practitioners who are in the midst of it. And um, and the, the more we can learn from them, the, the better, I think. Mm. Um, so, Paul, we like to, I like to kickstart with a, a question uh, saying, what's the weirdest or strangest thing you've experienced in church leadership that you can say publicly? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I've been, I've been ordained 28 years now, so you could, this could be the whole episode, I think. <laughs> um, I had some really strange <clears throat> funerals when I was first ordained, but uh, the one that was, that's top of my mind actually is, um, I've got a son who's 21 today. Um, so he's got, uh, he's adult, but he's also got special needs. His profile probably is more like, 18 months um and um i was just reminded of it because um gav calver from the ea sent me a message on facebook today just reminding me of about 10 years ago i think gavin was doing an evangelistic address in one of the youth venues at new wine and he got to that point of really bringing everybody to the moment of commitment he'd been preaching the cross um place was still about a thousand kids in the in the venue and it's really silent as he's about to call people for commitment. And then for no apparent reason, my son Joshua just starts hysterically laughing from the back <laughs> of the room, completely destroyed the moment. And uh, <laughs> Gavin said it took him about another 10 minutes to get back there. So, <laughs> so I just think it was, I don't think Gav, Gav had done it as well as he could. And the Holy Spirit gave him another opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That Something that I'm learning so far is is learning to be okay with the Holy Spirit interrupting, yeah, what I'm doing. And um, my initial reaction is is sheer frustration because <laughs> <laughs> I think no 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 I've planned it all out I've got this under control, and then mm. and then something happens and you think well there you go. <laughs> well, I think the moment it's a bit of a great level of this whole season that we're in, isn't it? Because mm. we can't hide behind glossy production, uh, but actually what people are really um, becoming excited about or responding to is people being real people being vulnerable and so if you're in the middle of an interview and your children smash in from the back everybody loves it yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. it's like cause we bring a context we're not just sort of presenting an image yeah and i was speaking to somebody the other day uh, somebody from church uh, they're not in church leadership they're in secular work and they said it's been fascinating um having their work calls over microsoft teams because their boss uh, it's built a level of relationship with their boss, which they never had. Yeah. You know, and it's, um, it's increased sort of the pastoral element in their relationship. It's, it's freed things up and made them more comfortable to communicate with him, yeah. which I thought was fascinating. Definitely. Yeah. It's very humanizing as well, isn't it? Because yeah. I think we're looking at these, we're looking at screens and we're all looking at the background as well as the person. Yeah. You know, you see, we can see, oh, it's interesting. You can see what they're reading or, or things <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah, little glimpse of the family home. Yeah, or in my case, you can see how messy the bookcase is in my <laughs> in my review. <laughs> I've, I've had a lot of stick for how many books I've got, but this is just the tip of the iceberg. That's <laughs> quite a collection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Paul, would you be able to? So, I should probably say, Paul, you head up a church 
that is enabling resourcing more planters to go out. Um, would you be able to give us some of the background into how All Saints got to that point and, and part of the vision for that happening um, yeah. as a church? Um, so, yeah, so I'm not a church planter, so I've never planted anything from scratch. Um, after a first curacy up on the Wirral, uh, my wife and I came here 25 years ago. And for the first five years, we actually led something that historically was a church plant, but it had been a church plant in Victorian times. Wow. Um, yeah. So it, it was um, as the area had expanded, the big church, All Saints, had planted out four small churches to reach um, emerging parts of the local area. And one of them still going 120 years later. So we <laughs> came and we led that. It was a church of about 35 when we came. and. Um, we we saw growth. We did a building project. Um, we we managed to kind of resource the youth work slightly, and that grew from thirty five to about seventy over the five years that we were there. And then in two thousand, um, I made this the the shift that's really strange in the Church of England. I, I moved from Curate to Vicar in the same parish. Oh wow! And so came up to here to All Saints. All Saints has all always been a large church. Um, so I inherited it when it was already the largest church in the diocese here. Um, and, um, we ran really for, for a number of years with big church, small church. So all saints and that small church, uh, St. Andrews that I'd been leading. Um, but we started thinking uh, that the model that we had of a big church with a, with a small church, that actually that was a really good model because if you can do if you can do All Saints and St. Andrews in a kind of honouring way, mm. recognising the strengths that a big church brings, but also the kind of nimble responsiveness and entrepreneurial high ownership culture of a small church, uh, missionally engaged in its local context rather than being a network church with an eclectic gathered crowd. You know, we, we said, look, there's a real strength in big and small. And if we can do big with one small, why don't we do it with big? with two smalls or three smalls. And so that's what's happened. Um, the first first one we did was about 10 years ago, and one of our associate ministers went with about 30 people to a neighboring parish, um, revitalized the church that otherwise would probably have been amalgamated with another parish. Um, and initially, because that was across a deanery boundary, um, and it looked at one point as though it was going to be across an archdeaconry boundary. Like <laughs> legally, it was so complicated. <coughs> what we did was we just, um, we, we did it in the way I call fire and forget. So we, we sent them all out, but there was no exist, uh, continuing relationship, nothing formal, certainly. Um, just come back if you, if you need some help. Yeah. Um, and that particular leader was somebody who wanted to go out, really improve himself rather than stay in relationship. And we've seen weaknesses in that model. So since then, everything else we've done has been much more with not not um, oversight in a heavy-handed way, but with a lot more sense of continuing relationship. Yeah. And it really kicked off about four years ago. Um, well, so four years ago, we were asked to, to plant into another parish, a little bit more local, where we were going to be able to take responsibility for it but, but we were going to have to take financial responsibility for it as well because it was down to a sunday congregation of about 20 um and probably close unless we did something 
Um, and in that case, we actually just sent a leader. Um, so we sent a couple in there, um, somebody who'd gone forward for ordination and just been turned down by his uh, bishop's advisory panel. Yeah. Uh, he was turned down in July. Um, we got this opportunity in August and we put him in in October. And um, he and his wife did an absolutely amazing job of turning that church around for mission, connecting with the community. Um, so much so that after about six months, the bishop said, I think that I think the advisory panel was wrong. We need to get you ordained. Wow. So he put him on a crash course, um, got him ordained. So he was he was turned down by back, but he was leading a church and actually ordained faster than he would have been if he'd actually been recommended by back. <laughs> Um, and that church has, has done really well. Yeah. We also co-opted another local parish, which brought its own vicar in as well. So we didn't plant into it. They, they came and joined our team. Oh, wow. And then since then, we've done another two, um, revitalizations into local parishes. Um, one into the existing church we planted 10 years ago and one into another church locally. And, Various models, you know, sometimes we have sent 20, 30 people. Sometimes we've just sent a couple in leadership. But we're now a network of um, seven churches. So the big one and the small church in this parish and then five other parishes. The fifth one I haven't mentioned yet is a um, a church plant from scratch in new housing with big SDF funding behind it. And that's um, we're calling church at Barking Riverside. Uh, Barking Riverside is if if it if it ever goes ahead after all the slowdown caused by Brexit and coronavirus, that will be the biggest new housing development in Europe. We think. Wow. Uh, so we've got a couple that moved onto that estate about a year ago, and um, are not not starting with a Sunday expression, but they're starting with replicating small hubs of community engagement, um, and it's been really exciting watching yeah. their. Yeah, that reminds me. There's um, a guy that we've sent out called Ben Thorpe, who um, has gone to a new estate here in Milton Keynes, and um, they they didn't start with a Sunday thing either. They they started in their home, <clears throat> getting to know people, their neighbours, and slowly build. And they've now transitioned into a school uh, for two yeah. Sundays a week, and the other two um, they have at home with lunches in different people's houses. And then there's like a social action Sunday as well. And it's just been wonderful to watch that grow and blossom and um, as a community. And it, it, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, seeing that happen? Yeah, I think if we can get it right, it's very exciting. I mean, it, it's probably slower mm. uh, because what you're looking for is exponential growth. And as we all know from the virus with exponential yeah. growth, it starts slow. But once it takes off, if you've got the multiplication, it's sort of unstoppable and really goes to scale. Yeah. Um, so it's very much on the multiplying model rather than the traditional church, which often becomes additional. Mm-hmm. Um, the advantages, though, are it's very missional. So the missional DNA is in is in there from the start. Yeah. And it's also it seems to be really really good at actually raising up leadership because mm. um, it's not in a consumer model at all. And in fact, we think that what God's doing there is is providing the leadership for that future church, um, people being drawn into the hubs who who we're discerning have real gifts of leadership, but actually some of them probably have not yet properly become Christians. 
<laughs> so yeah. we can actually see the emerging, growing leadership as people are being sort of, let's say, pre-conversion disciples. They're yeah. being discipled already, but they're not yet maybe fully converted. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's going to be really exciting to watch that one in years to come. Yeah, definitely. I just want to um, go back a bit um, to <clears throat> what the experience was like for you going from your curacy of a church of 35 to 70 and sort of the, the jump into mm. the church you inherited. Because from a leadership learning point of view, that must have been both exciting and terrifying all at <laughs> once. I'd, I'd love to, if you can cast your mind back to to what that was like for you as an emerging leader and, and what you took from the church you were at and seeing that grow into that one and, and how you as a leader had to adapt and reshape to fit the new context. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think one thing that prepared me for it was that I had been part of the bigger team up here for five years. So um, curate to vicar, but yeah, I'd been a curate for eight years in total, worked under two different vicars um, in teams. So I'd learned quite a lot just by being around it and seeing it. Um, I've also, I mean, I've been a student of leadership. I, th I think it's probably would be the, the, the first of all my spiritual gifts would, would be leadership. And I, um, you know, just, just forever, I read more. I've just been reading stuff about leadership, you know, um, and made that a real, a real thing, a real study of mine, a real focus. Yeah. Um, so that helped a lot. But I think it's, um, when you're moving into something that's bigger, um, it's much more complex. There are roles that you're stepping into of, um, you know, financial management of, of governance and compliance. Um, and particularly people management and learning how to lead through leaders, not just leading everybody directly. Yeah. So that was a steep learning curve. Um, the thing that really helped me was, was it just a sense that God was in it. And I, I think, you know, when you are confident that you're called, you know, I, I, I really felt God had spoken to me prophetically about that shift. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I, I was confident that I, would find some way of doing it that would work for me. Yeah. And we, we just had young children at that point as well. So Joshua was here. Rachel was born about 18 months later. So it was, you know, it was a, a time of real business in our family life. Yeah. But at the same time, that also gave us permission to do things our way mm -hmm. uh, rather than to do things the way my predecessor had done them. And I think that's important. You're finding patterns that work for you. Yeah. Yeah. And the church has been really good. They've let me grow. So yeah. Together. yeah, that's brilliant. And you, you touched on the, the sense of call that you had there. Um, I know something that I've wrestled with <clears throat> being here in Milton Keynes with the church planting side of things is, is the first two options that we've gone for have failed. They haven't even got off the ground and we're now looking for the third. And, uh, my wife and I felt really called to come to Milton Keynes specifically to church plant and to, to be here for the long term until, well, until God threw us out basically. And, um, and I have wrestled for, oh, spent so much time going round and round in circles wrestling. Well, have you called me to this God? You know, mm. have you called me to plant here? If so, why have these two options failed? Is this third one even going to take off? You know, is it even going to happen? And, I don't know if if, the, if there's any way in which you can speak into the calling side of things when it comes to leadership. You know, when you doubt your calling, or 
you know, or the positives where you think, oh yeah, I'm definitely called here. I can see now why yeah. I am, you know, yeah. one of those things that I feel probably comes with hindsight. <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I mean, um, I think my encouragement would be just to look at, um, the apostle Paul as a good example. You know, he had a really clear sense that he wanted to preach in Spain, but he felt he couldn't get there. He'd been blocked from doing that. We don't know if he made it or not. Um, he tried to go into Asia and the Spirit of God wouldn't let him. He tried to go in Bithynia and couldn't get in there. <laughs> yeah. And then he ends up with this really strange dream and he goes into Macedonia and, and starts a church in the weirdest way yeah. with really unpromising, um, you know, setting. Um, you know, talking about meeting a woman at the place where people would go to pray if there were any people to pray and then ending up planting a church out of a jail cell. <laughs> so, yeah. I, you know. <laughs> God will do it. Mm. I, mean, I think that hang on to the dreams. Mm. You know, when, when God gives us dreams, then I think we need to hang on to them. Yeah. But I would also say hold, hold lightly yeah. what it might look like. Yeah. Uh, That's been a huge it, lesson for yeah. me that I'm still continuing to learn. Um, you know, for the first, you know, I like to strategize. I like to think 10 years ahead. And so for the first one, yeah, I'd drawn up this 14 page document, all these ideas. And then the next minute, I know this isn't happening, not in this area. And so I just had to tear it all up. And, yeah. you know, there, there was part of me, really, uh, that was about a year and a half ago, where it was just, oh, I was just heartbroken. So I thought, I've just invested all this time into something I felt called cool to, and now I'm tearing it up. Since yeah. then, I'm, I'm learning to let go more. I'm still into the process of doing that, you know, nowhere near where I'd like to be. But it was a really good lesson, actually, that, we can make our plans, but at the end of the day, if the Holy Spirit's gonna, he's either gonna bless it or move you on to something else as, as he wishes, isn't he? And yeah. It's just trying and to I, keep in step with him. I think, Paul, it's really important that you, your, your calling is something between you and God. Mm. It's not between you and the SDF or anybody else, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and because it's between you and God, um, he will use those wrong turns and those frustrations. And I think a lot of planters at the moment are feeling that because um, I know, you know, there's a number of people. I was talking to Matt Bear in Telford the other day, and yeah. you know, he's moved onto this estate to start a church, and then suddenly we're in lockdown. <laughs> yeah. And so all the things you would normally do of opening your home up and getting people in, you can't do it. Yeah. Uh, our friends Sam and Anna that we mentioned at Barking Riverside, similar sort of thing for them. They actually spent a year trying to get onto the estate um, because of Brexit. The housing market stalled, and we couldn't. We literally couldn't buy a house, even though we had the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're into this season of lockdown and social distancing when they want to be relating and connecting. Yeah. So yeah. I think a lot of people are feeling that at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but just trust God. You know, don't lose the, don't lose the dream. Don't lose the vision. Yeah. Plans up and see what they look like next. Yeah. It's funny. What you, uh, I mean, it's fun. It's not funny. It's frustrating, but it, it, mm. it reminds me of the conversation I had with Henry Kendall yesterday. And he said, you know, they've, they've been on this journey of this new building project really exciting they've got the building you know 12 million quid later and then all of a sudden you can't they can't even use it now because of yeah. the coronavirus yeah. and uh, bless him he was laughing about it but i imagine that must be incredibly difficult yeah <laughs> you know, absolutely to, to um and i think experience one thing i think that is going to be really interesting though is is i think there will be lots of opportunities for church planting coming out of this season mm. um not always for good reasons. Yeah. Uh, I think sometimes there are going to be a lot of churches that are going to struggle um, through this season. And as they, as the 
as we come out into the recovery phase, they're going to be desperate for help. Yeah. And so people that might have been more self-protective before, I think are going to be open. Yeah. Um, but I think also people, you know, everything being new will open people to new ideas. So I think it's a positive there. People yeah. will see the need to engage missionally. They'll be up for new models because everything's changing. Yeah. I mean, there's been a couple of things that have really struck me with the whole coronavirus season. One is that many more churches are providing online material. And mm. so many more people are tuning into churches that aren't necessarily in their parish. Yeah. And so I, for me, that that's a positive in the sense, <clears throat> whilst I believe in the local church, of course, there's something positive in that, that people are breaking away from maybe the restraints that they may have had before yeah. in order to access church. And even some of my non-Christian friends have been ac- accessing our material. And you think, wow, you know, we've been going on at them for years <laughs> yeah. about God and church and everything. And now we switch it onto Facebook and they're instantly there without any sort of persuasion. Uh, so I, I feel that could be a breath of fresh air for the Church of England in particular in trying to free up some of that movement. And the yeah. other thing that I've been thinking about is, it, like you say, I think it's an opportunity almost for current leaders of the churches almost to replant back into their buildings. And it, we have an opportunity to to really make uh, big changes, um, not quite overnight, but yeah. it, it leaves room for us to do that, doesn't it? Because it's it's been put on pause for so long. Yeah, and I think there's probably... I think there's models and methods that we um, would probably have ended up embracing that we've suddenly had to embrace. And so a lot of the future has actually come come into the present very, very quickly, which is why at the moment we're really tired. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, we've, we, we mustn't forget when we come out of this season and restrictions start to lift. Yeah, we're looking forward to gathering because that's a really important part of being the church. But what we're doing online a lot of that, actually, we need to learn from and embrace and keep doing. And, you know, because we see the way that we're connecting outside of the, our immediate area and connecting outside of our gathered crowd. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. It's frustrating mm. and exciting all at once. Yeah. <laughs> so with all the churches that have been sent out from <clears throat> All Saints, Paul, mm. how, how did the prep go about for some of those? Was it... Um, did leaders sort of just pop up in your congregation and you saw the call of God in their lives? Or did they come to you saying, hey, I think I'm called to planting? Or was it something completely different altogether? Yeah, we've we've had a, um, a mixture, actually. I think we'd probably say we've had all of those. Um, sometimes people have come to us and they haven't, they just sort of said, I really feel called to do something. Yeah. And it's become clear that it's church planting in time. Yeah. Um, other times we've looked into our staff and we've identified people who might fit an opportunity that we'd identified as well. So some of it has been the, the person, some of it has been the opportunity or the place. Um, yeah. particularly because of, I, I think for us, one of the, one of the things as a big church, um, God really spoke to me years ago and, and I, I just felt him constantly saying, you know, from those to whom much has been given, much will be required. Um, and when you're a reasonably large church and, you know, a number of churches around you are struggling, you start getting that vision for, we've got to spread this out. We've, we've got to share. We've got to take responsibility. Um, 
it took a while perhaps for the diocese and, and for other church leaders to, to kind of catch up with experiencing that not as empire building on our side, but as genuine resourcing and offering and serving. Um, so I think we probably, we probably saw a few opportunities earlier than, um, than other people did. Yeah. But equally, we've been surprised by some that have come to us. And, and I think because we'd, we'd built a track record of being trusted. And as a result, um, the diocese actually have come to us with one or two opportunities that we wouldn't necessarily have seen. So for us, yeah. the Barking Riverside church plant, it's actually about 30 minutes drive from here. I yeah. mean, it's, it's not a natural plant for us to be overseeing in any relational connected kind of sense. Um, so there's been a real mixture there. Yeah. Um, the one thing I do see though is that, um, every time we've done something, there's been a sense of adventure. It's been a sense of calling. Um, and the leaders we've got are, are leaders who, who have that vision for growth. Yeah. You know, they, they've got a, a unshakable belief that if the gospel's preached, it will change lives. Um, and that's important because it is hard and slow. Um, getting things going in plants yeah uh, but they they come with that really positive kind of mindset yeah and there's a couple of things that you, you use the word opportunity a few times when i spoke to henry kendall that's a word that he used a lot as well and it's um they were talking about the plants they've done and so much uh, so much of it has come about out of seeing an opportunity and being led by the spirit you know in, in thinking oh you've brought this to my attention don't quite know who's going to lead it or how it's going to happen, but we're going to seize the opportunity and go for it and then just see what unfolds. And yeah. I think that's, that's so exciting. You know, when you, when you hear about churches that are following that sort of risk taking element, looking out for opportunities that God's paving the way for and then just grabbing hold of it, even if they're not sure how all the other yeah. bits are going to fall into place. That to me, that, that's the sort of thing that gets my heart racing and it's, really exciting to see that loads of churches are doing that and it's one of the reasons why i'm so encouraged about the church of england funding these resource hubs to be doing that you know to enable these opportunities to be taken hold of throughout the uk i think it's incredibly exciting yeah and i mean and the opportunity look there's lots of different ways of it presenting so it can be um so one opportunity was we we recognized from our congregational register that we had um significantly more people living in a particular parish but working worshiping with us mm-hmm. and we we're actually working worshiping at the local church there yeah we just we just mentioned it to the diocese and said look if an opportunity ever comes for us to be related or in partnership or overseeing something there let us know yeah. and it probably took about seven or eight years before that came back but that was one of ours yeah um other times the opportunity has been a person, um, that we really sense is called to church leadership. And then, um, the, the question for us then is, do we put them into the normal Anglican system, which will send them somewhere else? Or do they have a sense of calling to be part of something locally in a continuing kind of way? And then, um, we look for an opportunity there. Sometimes it's a new housing estate where there's nothing and it just feels wrong yeah. or where there, where the church that's there doesn't look like it would have the capacity without an infusion of, of any en- energy to really be able to actually reach the setting they're in. So it's that, you know, opportunity can look very different. 
Yeah. Like the sense of possibility and something God could do something here. Yeah. And how? Because um, obviously you you're a national leader of New Wine as well. And I went to New Wine last year, and the the church planting material that was being spoken about and interviews that were happening was so exciting to see. And the whole dreamers, doers, and donors side of things incorporating that planting. Would you want to speak into a bit more about? the vision and some of the opportunities with new wine and planting throughout the UK as well? Yeah, so um, the, the vision for new wine is, is local churches changing nations. Yeah. So we we know that for the nation to be changed, what each community needs is a, a vibrant local church. Okay, So we really believe in the local church, not in conferences or anything like that particularly. We think it's got to be real, it's got to be local, it's got to be relational has to be seen and impacting a community. So that that means we're interested in re, in revitalizing local churches, we're interested in renewal, but we're also interested in planting churches that have that kind of renewed DNA, yeah. um, where there isn't a church that, that's expressing it. Um, so we've nailed down a strategy um, which is training dis- missional disciples uh, mentoring church leaders and um, creating a funnel of church planters and church planting churches. And the way that we're really pursuing that third part of the strategy, the church planting strategy, is by identifying um, key hubs where there are churches like like mine here, but there are probably about 20 or 30 around the country that we're starting to work with. Churches that have some experience of being on the journey so we can share some of the problems some of the mistakes um uh, and just give a bit of um create a local cohort really for churches that say look we we can't really look to the big models that have been done city center resource churches with hundreds of students but we actually think in our small local context that we are being called to plant um and so there's going to be a more local contextual expression of sharing knowledge that will be based on these 20 or 30 um, church planting hubs. Um, and then, then they'll hopefully what we can do from that is create cohorts for planters like yourself. So we've got the, you know, the donor churches that we're sharing wisdom then with people like myself who perhaps are sponsors for these sorts of things. Um, and then also grassroots uh, church planting day to day for the people who are actually doing the work like yourself. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, something I've done the <clears throat> the question I wanted to ask was um, what do you look for in a planter and I asked that because <clears throat> I've been on various websites and um, you type in things like qualities of a church planter and things like that mm. and there are these tons of articles and you read through them and you think blimey <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> they are setting the bar really high with uh, being a church planter and and i guess in many respects they should but it can almost make you feel very um unqualified yeah for the role at least that's how i've reacted at times and so i wonder is there something specific you would look in, look for in a planter, or is there no set DNA um, yeah. for it? Well, I, I think the probably the general thing I'd look for, Paul, is I, I'd, I'd look for somebody who's got like an irrepressible hope. Mm. Um, you know, somebody who just believes that God can do it. 
because yeah. uh, it is slow and it's hard. Um, and so you, you'd probably be looking for somebody then who is going to be confident in the gospel, who's going to be prayerful, um, who's probably going to be relational as well. Um, and often um, you might find, I mean, couples are really significant in planting and of, often because they are the core team, um, they balance each other out with different gifts as well. So it, it can be something that you bring as a team if, if you happen to be married or yeah. going with one or two others as well. Um, I th- beyond that, I think it's really contextual depending on what you envisage. So there might be a small local estate um, and you're looking to plant something in there and the nature of the estate and the community there perhaps means that a church that grows to 50 would would be entirely appropriate and probably what God would want. Yeah. So growing beyond 50 is perhaps not something that's, that's needed. Um, I don't think that means that churches... Um, can't plant. I actually think sometimes those churches have real experience. And one of the things that we're seeing in New Wine is a lot of um, planting of estate churches where the vision isn't to grow to many hundreds, but it's to grow to 50 and plant again, to be really um, small and local. And you remember the the advice that Moses was given is that there are leaders of 50, leaders of 100, leaders of 1,000. So I think look at what you're going for. So I've got one plant where the vision is actually probably to go to about 500 over a number of years. And so for that planter, I, I needed to make sure that it was somebody who would be able to lead at scale over a big team um, who would um, have the capacity to, to be leading over you know multiple settings and multiple leadership. There are other contexts where we think we're a church of 30 to 50 is exactly what the Spirit of God wants. And they're equally valid, but they're slightly different gift mixes. Yeah. Yeah, the importance of capacity and knowing what your own capacity is, mm. the, the link between calling and capacity is is really important, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, and I would definitely not want people to hear that as being bigger capacity for bigger church. Yeah. I think it's different capacities. Um, for myself, I would probably struggle to plant a church from scratch you know i i did inherit a church of 30 35 and, and was able to work with that and build it um you you sometimes need a different type of capacity but you need a lot of capacity yeah to move on to a um onto an estate and start from scratch or to move into a a context that produce that presents quite significant challenges mm. But if, if you're going to lead something of many, many hundreds, there's a different type of capacity needed for that as well. Yeah. I think it's really important how that's done because of the whole comparison game that mm. can come into effect between leaders, between parishes, between denominations. Um, it, it can be really toxic. Can't it? I mean, I know even from my own yeah. experience, you know, Matt Beer and I were, had the same curacy and I knew Matt from college. And uh, whilst I couldn't wait to be with him, I thought, blimey, I'm going to come in as the next curate with Matt alongside. And, you know, you know, Matt is a big visionary. He's got tons of ideas. He has a hundred ideas before he wakes up and has a vast capacity. And you think, wow, I'm going to be working alongside him. And I was quite fearful of that in many ways because, you know, the, the comparison thing had got into my head. Um, but once I started, it was fine, you know, and yeah, I could see, we you know, we're both very different. We both share similar DNA. But it comes out in different ways. 
and um, and it was it was it was a treat you know to be able to work alongside him and see him in action and, and hopefully likewise for me <laughs> um yeah. but and it really yeah. brings you back to what you were saying earlier paul about calling mm. i mean calling is the way to defeat comparison yeah. that's the thing so you can only be faithful to when when you know all the church planters line up before god in glory then god is not going to say to any of them why weren't you Tim Hughes or why weren't you Mike yeah. Cooks or, you yeah. know, he's, he's, he's only going to say to you, why weren't you Paul Pavlo as yeah. I intended, you know, <laughs> yeah. we can only live up to what God has for us. Yeah. That's really important. Uh, I'm, time is running away with us. Um, let's have a look here. What have been some of the, the challenges in, in, in raising up, planters and and then sending them out or you know what have been some of the lows or the gritty side of things that have come with that for you well i think i mean it would be easy to answer that because there are quite a few of them to be honest um one is the way that your motives can be judged by other other church leaders Mm -hmm. um you know for them it might feel like we're building an empire um sometimes they feel an implicit judgment on the the effectiveness of their ministry and so they're not invested in seeing somebody else flourish um for the mother church there's a bereavement of relationship um and there's also a real tangible bereavement so we recently the most recent plant we did was in january and that entailed um 15 to 20 people going with you know a much loved curate but the people that went were real core people who were volunteers in many, many areas of our church's life. They quite rightly took their giving with them as well. So you're giving away people, but you're also losing income. Um, you know, so there's all, all sorts of challenges come back from that. And another one that's can be, um, sometimes things don't come off. Um, so we've talked about the personal side of, um, you're frustrated in what you thought you were going to do. Mm. We, we've also found that sometimes the circumstances that the diocese are in means that things don't come off. So that, that plant, we went in there with a promise that there would be a six figure sum from SDF, which wasn't given. Mm. Uh, and then the diocese said, Oh, well, don't worry. We'll find another way to, to give you support, which equally proved not to be possible. And now the, changed financial circumstances that everybody's in means you know we've we've got a six-figure hole in that budget which the big is not going to be able to make up yeah um and sometimes it's it is navigating the expectations between the plant the diocese the donor church and we all have expectations of each other and it's it's it, they just need talking out i think yeah but that can be attention um yeah. particularly if, if for any of us if the poverty mindset kind of kicks in you know the poverty spirit of um i can't give away because i haven't got enough if i lose these people lose this income or the person who's down there who's saying i can't do this because i've heard that church got a you know quarter of a million pounds to do it and i haven't so therefore i can't you know i think we just need to kind of keep coming back and remembering that the the early church started with nothing except the holy spirit and that's enough yeah Uh, Yeah. and embrace that mindset but actually diocese donor and plum all suffer from that mindset mm. yeah and how in those moments where things are really tricky or things have not gone the way you expected how, how 
what sort of rhythms or practices do you have? I, I know this is a bit of a personal question. Uh, do you mm. have um, in order to be kind to yourself in those moments, you know, to kind of look after your well-being and your plant's yeah. well-being, that sort of thing? Yeah. I, well, I think that's a great question, actually. I think relationship is really important. Um, so we try and talk it out um, because I, you know, I need to keep friendship with all these people. I've got massive respect for what they're doing. Um, and I think, you know, I feel it back from them as well. Um, so we just need to help each other see things from the same perspective. Mm. Probably the personal dynamic in that is if, if, if we're really challenged by what's going on, um, and we feel that we're too much is being asked of us, that's normally what it feels like. Too much is being asked of us. We've just got to keep going back to God. And, um, it wasn't mine in the first place. It was all his. Um, and a deep, for me, a, a kind of deep spiritual principle that I find really hard to live out, but I believe is that, um, it's, it's kind of caught a new wine theology, really, that, that when, um, when David Pitches said to John Wimber, what do we do with this, the, you know, impact that God's had? Um, Wimber said, well, if you want more, give away what you've got. And so for us, that's a real kingdom principle and it's something we've tried to live out. So as a church, that means being generous, um, kingdom minded, um, willing to, to just to give out because when we do that, ultimately we trust God to replace and build and multiply. Yeah. Um, so we try to live that out, but obviously that, that's the kind of like the raw edge of faith all the time yeah. because you're living it out and you're also knowing what the, the cost is. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, I think something perhaps neighbouring parishes or church leaders have missed is just how costly it is for resource churches and hubs to be who they are, mm. resourcing the, the rest of the parish and diocese. And yes, they they may be given a sum of money, but actually the cost that is um, taken on by then the giving out that follows it far exceeds <laughs> the the original donation doesn't it and um, and i think people need to catch hold of that um, because it is i mean we've seen we've i say we my, my training incumbent david mcdougall in his time at saint mary's they've planted two churches and i'll hopefully be the third and each one has been incredibly costly you know people finances um relationship all of that and um yeah. It's you know, and it, and it's brilliant at the same time, isn't it? That, that yeah. we that we get to do that. It so. is, and it's healthy. And yeah. I think you know that it's we often, I guess, because we all measure ourselves, and we're all you know back to comparison again, rather yeah. than called. You know, we're all we're all looking to growing, mm. and if if the numbers are up and and everything, you know, all the graphs are moving in the right direction, we feel good about ourselves. Mm. Actually, it's healthy church. It, which is what the Lord's wanting to do, which is seen in terms of discipleship and generosity and sacrifice and ultimately in obedience. Yeah. So yeah, giving away and shrinking <laughs> potentially doesn't look good. Yeah. It's nearly always a path to health and healthy things do grow in time. Yeah. We're, we're about to close about, I've just got two more questions, if I may. Um, the, the first would be, has there been something that is just completely knocked you for six in your time as being a, a church leader as well as a resource church leader or even as national leader of new wine something that you just did not see coming and it can be positive or negative 
um, that that really stands out to you? Yeah, well, coronavirus would be a good example, I suppose, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are times when the the landscape just shifts, mm. and it shifts in a fundamental kind of way. So, you know, for new wine, um, we've had massive changes. I've been leading about four years in, in new wine, and so my role here has changed. Mm. And um, I think in some ways I found it easier to step into new roles in new wine and, and start leading there than I did to step out of roles here right. and pass them off to the wider team. Um, it's a big adjustment. So I think I, I just found that I needed to give a lot of time for that adjustment. Um, I, I'm the sort of person that when I get a new opportunity, I'll try and add it into what I've already got right. rather than take anything out to make space for it. So we yeah. really had to learn how to do new things. Yeah. Um, and there's been huge amounts of change. And I think probably just coming to terms with, with that. Yeah. And the change is probably here to stay for all of us. And mm. so we need to be learning all the time, seeking yeah. wisdom all the time. Yeah. And that's you know? interesting just to reflect on, on your journey of leadership so far. You went from the, the initial church you were leading and that was a large jump into the one that you're yeah. leading now. And then there's been this next shift of adaptation in your leadership to jump to the next thing you must be terrified of what god's going to call you to jump into next <laughs> well i'm quite happy if we can think in human terms i'm quite happy to repeat uh, that's the way that we call it um well it's i mean it's about impact isn't it i mean i've always i just i'm happy to take on whatever role where whatever gifts and skills i might have can be maximized for god's glory in terms of impact and I think there, there does come a season actually where you, you start stepping away from platforms mm. and you, your shift is increasingly towards, um, raising others up mm. and putting them on platforms. And I'm on 52 now. I think if, if, if that's not the, the, the defining mark of the next, you know, the rest of my ministry before retirement, then I probably would have missed it. <laughs> so it's got to be a lot more now about multiplying through leaders. Whereas at an earlier stage, it was perhaps more of a focus on what God was going to bring out of me mm. and increasing my capacity. Yeah. Uh, so that's a, that's a live issue for me at the moment, Paul. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Um, I heard somebody speak uh, on a talk from HTB a few years ago, and they were saying the most influential years or the best years of someone's ministry are the, are the final sort of, 10 or last five to 10 and um so uh, yeah i'd be really encouraged <laughs> not that you, yeah. you not that you've only got 10 years left <laughs> no, 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 but, i mean I, I agree i mean it's it's we if you look at the bible god takes a long time with his servants i mean i've, I've always been struck that um it says that what god wants to do is to make of us oaks of righteousness and i mm -hmm. say to my team here regularly invest in yourself take a long-term view because if you want balsa, I can give you balsa wood in six months. But if you want an oak, it's going to take a bit longer. Yeah. So I, so I think there is that. Yeah. I mean, it, it might not be that, that we lead the biggest churches or that we have the most energy. Mm. I think there is a peak. Yeah. Um, but having said that, our influence, I don't see why our influence should ever do anything other than, than grow. Yeah. It just may come out in less visible ways. Yeah. Okay, so final question. Uh, what, if you could pick one piece of advice or encouragement to a church leader 
who wants to see their church plant for the first time. Um, so maybe, you know, like an up and coming resource church leader, you know, or, or team. What, what piece of advice or encouragement would you give them as a church that wants to enable that to happen? Well, I, I would probably say just be, be open to surprises, be open to any possibility. Don't have a preset expectation of what it might look be, uh, look like. Certainly don't, um, do the comparison thing and look around for models. Yeah. Just get the map out. Look at where your people are. Look at where the needs are. Be praying. See what God has already given you. You know, it might be he's given you a, a, a group of people or he's given you an opportunity or a relationship there. Um, and just, just be open for, for a surprise, really. Yeah. Uh, we, we love to hear the stories of what other people have done and we must celebrate them and learn from them. But whatever God wants to do, it's going to be absolutely unique for your context and your leadership. Really helpful. And, and final, final question. If anybody wanted to catch up with the new wine story or All Saints or even your own, I know you've published a few books. How would they connect with you or with those you know, organizations and churches? Yeah, great. Well, <clears throat> either email me, which would be paul.harcourt at new-wine.org. Um, we produced a book called Greater Things, which is the story of new wine. It's got an amazing chapter in there on uh, church planting. Um, John McGinley and Gareth Robinson head up church planting development and ch- church planting training in new wine. Or go to the website, which is new-wine.org, and there's a ministry area for planting, which will enable you to connect with with our resources and our wider network as well. Brilliant. Paul, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. It's been a real treat being able to spend some time chatting things over with you. Great. Loved it. Great. Brilliant. Well, have a great day and um, stay safe in the midst of coronavirus. <laughs> and uh, and look forward to following you more with everything that's happening at All Saints and New Wine. And thank you for everything that you do. Uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful sitting under your leadership as somebody who's part of it, you know, within the New Wine Network and, and that sort of thing. So thank you. That's great. Have a great day.